Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. Hello and welcome. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey and you are listening to Transformational Energy Leadership coming to you from the heartland of America. Now during this show I encourage you over those commercial breaks go to my website. It's on transform it's called transformationalenergyleadership.com where you can learn more about me and my business offerings and also contact me. You can email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can find me on this platform on voiceamerica.com under the empowerment channel and I'm on social media on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm excited about today's show because we're talking about making human connection. And human connection is the life we share with each other, no matter the role, the title, or place in an organization. And as technology, it continues to push all of us to levels of where direct human human interaction to new heights. And it's just easy to forget that we are, in fact, engaging with humans who desire real connection. Now, my guest is Dr. Melanie A. Katzman. She's the author of Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. This book is hot off the press just this week, and in my opinion, is a must-read for every leader out there, in fact, for every person. So here's more about Melanie. Dr. Melanie Katzman is a business psychologist and advisor and consultant to the world's top public and private companies, government agencies, and nonprofits. She is the founder of Katzman Consulting and a founding partner of the global nonprofit called Leaders Quest. She was on the faculty of Wild Cornell Medical School for 25 years, and Kassman was a senior fellow at the Wharton School Center for Leadership and Change Management, and co-created and co-hosted the show Women at Work on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. So Dr. Kassman, I'm really eager to have this conversation with you. Welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And timely with the release of your book. <laughs> I have yes. to say. I, yes, it is. It is. You know, I have to say, I when I read your book, you got me. You, you hooked me right in right from the beginning. And that was because you said, the truth is that organizations are run by people and people run on emotions. Our feelings supply the energy of fuel, our pursuit of profit and purpose, yet to our great detriment, we have long pretended that emotions have no place in the office. I cannot agree more. I talk about we're all emotional beings in the workplace, and then we try to p- pretend we're logic. Do you see that in all the work that you're doing? It's absolutely consistent in all of the work that I do. Um, you know, People create flow charts and project plans and organizational charts, but those boxes are filled with people who come filled with personalities that are driven by their emotion. And when we try to pretend that people are swiping in, logging on, putting on their suits or dresses and stepping into a role and suddenly are pretending to be somebody else, that just doesn't work. So how do we have passionate employees, committed workers, and then have it run on just cool analytics? It's, it's an impossibility, and it's also operating it to our detriment to try to make that assumption. So we're both on the same, we're, we're thinking the same way. You know, and, and I know that you're a psychologist. You were on the faculty at Weill Cornell Medical School. 
And the thing is, is what does the science say about why people need human connection and what they do for us? This is a great question. You know, we are biologically wired to connect. When we connect, we release the neurotransmitter, oxytocin. Oxytocin has been called the bonding hormone. When we release oxytocin, we relax, we feel calm, ready to experiment, innovate, and when you feel safe, you also are comfortable admitting if there's a mistake. These are the very things that organizations crave. I don't know any company that isn't looking for employees who are willing to take a risk, to innovate, and who are up for and ready to be connected. And yet, if we don't allow these activities that bring us together to take place, then we're going to operate again against ourselves and against our natural biological wiring. So let's let biology work for us. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and when you talk about that oxytocin, I know from the readings I've been doing as well, is that it frees up your mind. It gives you full access to your, your frontal lobe, that your whole mind exactly. is completely engaged. Yeah. When people talk about going into the zone, right, that that's that sense of calm and readiness. And that is driven by our biology, which we can activate in a positive way. Or on the other side, we can prepare for an assault, that kind of fight or flight reaction. And that releases cortisol. And when you're in that state, our fingers and our feet are ready to take action to defend ourselves. And that's exactly what we don't want. We want our blood to be racing through our heart and through our brain. So, again, if we go into a place of fear or terror, we're going to take away the wiring that allows us to perform. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I can certainly relate to what you're talking about there. I remember when there were times where I felt like I was hijacked and could not. And there, you simply cannot connect. You just can't because you're just so afraid of protecting yourself and being guarded so much. Exactly, exactly. You know, talk about why leaders really need to pay attention to and tune into people's emotions. Well, as we've been saying, when you have a disconnected workforce, people don't care. They show up, they go through the motions. They don't tell you when there's a problem, they don't bring their new ideas to you. We hear all the time that people want to have meaning at work. People are now electing to go to companies that stand for something, that are treating their employees well. So as a recruitment mechanism, as a retention device, you absolutely want to create an environment that people want to be in. And in terms of the results, the results matter to everybody in business, and those results are driven by the people who feel engaged and motivated. So even though I'm a psychologist, people will say, oh, you know, this is all about that feeling, that fluffy stuff. I'm like, no, I'm hired because people want outcomes. And those outcomes are driven by the actions people take, and those actions are dictated by emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's those little things. I know throughout your book, you talk about it so much about modeling and role modeling, everything that you're talking about here. And I, I, I remember having conversations with some of my leaders in the organization where they would say, well, my door's open. And as I would say, mm-hmm. but it's so much more than that. Right? Exactly. And, you know, by the way, you know, the modeling is not just the leaders. You know, I know that many of your listeners are leaders, but I, and they have titles that indicate that, but I believe that anybody can lead mm-hmm. a change that they believe in. And that means that whether you are the receptionist, the person in the cubicle, or the executive in the corner office, when you behave in a way that demonstrates dignity and respect for others, it's contagious. 
So you can be modeling positive behaviors no matter where you sit on the organizational ladder. Yes, completely agree. What are, and let's talk about this further in terms of doing things the wrong way. What are some examples mm-hmm. of how leaders have botched opportunities to connect with people at work? And, and let me replace that with not just leaders. There's so many of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, let me replace that with not just leaders, but everybody, what you were just saying. Right. Right. Because I think we're all guilty of it sometimes. You know, and that is we walk into the office and we don't even say hello to the people we pass. You know, we're, mm. we're, everybody is time deprived and we're trying to be hyper efficient. We're checking our, our phones or we're lost in thought. So you walk in and you don't even say hello. You start a meeting and you don't introduce everybody in the room. You walk into a meeting and you only make eye contact with the people you know or the people who you think are important. You jump into email exchanges with people who you're going to be online with all day long, but you don't even say good morning. You, people add a smiley face at the end of a sentence and somehow think that that's clear conflict. So <laughs> I think that, the, you know, that there's so many ways that we get into the elevator and we're riding 35 flights, 35 floors up to the office and we look at the ceiling or again at our phone and we don't talk to the person that's with us. And then you go later to a networking event to figure out, you know, how you can increase the number of people that you know, but you're riding to work every day with people in a confined space, but you're not making eye contact or conversation. Mm-hmm. We have so many opportunities to correct the behavior. So that's the good news. Right? The good news is all these things that I'm talking about can be changed. Bad news is we do them. Good news is we can change them. <laughs> well, that's good to know. And I like how when you open your book, your first chapter, I think, I think it was your first chapter, talks about, let's start from the basics, just smile, simply smile. Right. And I, I have to, and I'll be honest, when I, so when I read your book, I, because I do think that I smile quite a bit, but I made that conscious effort. I, you know, I, fit, I was reading your book and I said, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I smiled at people I hadn't smiled before. And what happened? They smiled back, you know, went to the bank, yep. same thing. Yeah, it's, it's contagious. I mean, it, it, when you talk about biology, like we are wired to connect, and a smile is a neuroignition key. I smile at you, you smile back. And the really fun thing this week, as the book has been arriving in people's mailboxes because they've pre-ordered it, I'm getting notes saying, hey, I'm smiling more. And guess what? Just as you said, people are smiling back. So the book is filled with you know many different um pointers and we'll talk about them but the first one is smile and clearly people are already smiling more this week so it's making me really happy i feel like there's an immediate impact i love it and i'm smiling right now you're making me smile so i can hear it i can okay. hear you in your voice you know, i'm smiling back at you and i can't even see you <laughs> <laughs> excellent you know and before we go to break i want to ask you what are some trends that have caused humans to forget how to connect as human in the workplace so how did we get here Well, you know, one of the things that we've already been mentioning is technology. So we are interconnected by technology, and people are mistaking likes and followers for relationships and friends. So one of the factors is technology. The other is speed, and everything now is so focused on hyper-efficiency. And if a request lands in my inbox, there's an expectation I either put on myself or others have of me that there's going to be a response instantaneously. And so that also causes us to constrict our focus and be extremely dedicated to the task rather than the people who we're working with. And I think the other um, trend is because we are able to get more information in a constant way, that some people see the competition or what others are doing as something to fear. 
And when we're afraid, as we were talking earlier, we close down. So if you combine kind of urgency, technology, and fear, you end up in a much more disconnected kind of huddled space, which is everything that we're talking about that can work against you. Focus on, we tend to focus on the task rather than the people. There you have it. Everything you were just saying, I, I agree. I, when you said that too, I, I'm like, yep, that, that's me at times, especially when I'm busy. And I know a lot of people feel that, that pressure there. Yeah. You know, here we are, we're at yeah, a commercial break. Have- oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that we all bow to the throne of busy. And you know, we can yes. talk about it after the break, that busy is not our friend. Right. And it's such a great excuse for everything, isn't it? Okay, so let's, on that note, we'll come back to busy after the break. So over the commercial break, I encourage all the listeners out there, go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com, and we will see you back here in two minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Oh, welcome back, everyone. All you leaders out there, it is essential you connect with your people. That is what we're talking about today, making connections. And my guest is Dr. Melanie Katzman. She's the author of the book, Connect First 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. And she has the research and practical examples for making this happen. I tell you all, I've read the book. Easy read. Get it. It's, it will be your friend. Now, Dr. Kassman, before the break, we were talking about the science behind making human connections. And we left off with talking about using busy as an excuse. So let's explore that a little mm-hmm. bit more. Why, why do we do that? Well, I think... And this is, you know, it used to be that smoking was cool. And now if you want to smoke, you have to leave the room. You're not invited to most public spaces with a cigarette. Well, I'm hoping and I'm starting to see that being busy is no longer cool. Used to be that if you're busy, you're important. 
and important people are unapproachable. And that's going out of style. Because one of the things I hear from particularly the younger employees in the companies that I work with is they don't want to be like the boss who's coming in on Monday morning and saying, I worked all weekend. That's not a good look. And so where it used to be I'm flexing my busy muscle and people are respecting me more, now people are saying, hmm, I don't know that my busy boss is the most impressive boss. But at the same time that we're saying that, we're not doing that. We all seem to continue to, as I was saying right before the break, kind of bow at the throne of busy. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I hope will be able to ignite a transformation of, which is, you know what? Busy isn't best and busy isn't an excuse. Everything I wrote in the book takes less than three minutes, sometimes less than a minute. And I purposely wrote this book for busy people to take away the excuse so that you can connect with just a, a, a smile, a thank you, a please, one word, two words, say got it. There's so many easy ways, and busy just isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like when you have a person's full attention on and they're focused on you, it just releases, like you said earlier, that oxytocin. And that brings me to a point that you raised throughout your book, and that is the power of eye contact and mm-hmm. why eye contact, mm-hmm. it's fundamental. Why, why is it so fundamental to making that connection? Well, I mean, it's truly the act of being seen is a way of inferring dignity. We all want to know that we matter, that our presence makes a difference. And when you look at somebody, you acknowledge their existence. Okay, we're going back to the ways in which science can confirm that things we know intuitively are happening for a reason. When we are seen, we light up. We are noticed. We matter. We feel good. Our esteem is affirmed. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. I, and I have to ask this, my, my listening audience is global around the world. And one of the things I do run into is eye contact. Do you find this to be consistent across all cultures? or? It's a great question. And I know that you um, are, are quite expert on Eastern and Western um, cultures and the similarities and differences. And what I would say is that the amount of time you linger in eye contact will vary across different mm-hmm. cultures. Even Good point. I'd say the states of America. Uh, um, so you always need to be reading your room. It's the other reason why I encourage people to really be intentional with their presence. You want to see what is going on around you and enter in a way that's respectful of whatever room, company, or culture you're in. So certainly there are cultural variations where a long way, you know, a long glance may feel uncomfortable may even be experienced as threatening, but even brief eye contact will make a difference. And that's acceptable, I would say, in just about every culture. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense. The time that you linger, uh, ultimately make the connection, but like you said, read your audience. It makes a lot of sense. You know, in Chapter 13, and I want to take this just a little bit further. We've touched on this, but in Chapter 13, you emphasize the importance of being present, that showing up is just the start. So talk more about mm-hmm. this. Well, I think that many of us come into a, a meeting and we have multiple agendas. One mm-hmm. is a conversation going on in our own head with ourselves. The other is what we're having with the person that we're with. We're sometimes trying to drive a point that we're not really listening to the people that we're with. We're only reloading our arguments. 
So what I say in the book is that we need to engage our senses. That's making eye contact. That's listening deeply. It's being with the person in the fullest way. So turn off all those beeps and buzzes. Like everybody's got these alerts on their phones. Like we know you're getting an email. We know you're getting a Slack message. You know it too. So when you're free, you can take a look at it. Why do you need a, a, a continual reminder? So I ask people to put their devices away, to turn off the sound. We are more efficient when we are with somebody and fully attentive and we get the job done and then move on to the next. We believe incorrectly that we can multitask and be as accurate. But again, the research does not support that. So the connection is stronger and the outcomes are better when you're doing one thing, focused and attentive. And um, I can talk more about that if you'd like, but I'll, I'll stop and take a breath. Oh, that's, it's good. You know, one of the best, best lessons I learned when I was working in my consulting firm, I reported to one of the partners and she was fantastic. And I know how busy she was. We talked about busy earlier. She's getting, you know, pulled from all these different offices globally. And when I would walk into the room and I had something that I needed to chat with her about, she was so cognizant about, she would put her computer down, she would turn her phone over, grab a a pen or a pencil and a tablet of paper and focus on me. Mm -hmm. And I felt so appreciated or what do you want to call that? Esteemed, whatever that word is. And I knew that I had her and it made our conversation so much more efficient and focused too. And that connection was there. And I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, And when I go into somebody's office and they get up from their desk, they close what they're doing, their eyes are on me, they're talking to me only and they're not trying to steal a second to respond to somebody else. I feel better and I also feel more motivated to do a good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, we want people to want to work with us. You know, one of the chapters I have in the book is about being a magnet, being the person that people want to be with. And one of the ways that you become more magnetic is by being attentive, by being present. I know, and that magnet piece really caught my attention because, you know, I talk on this show about energy, that we all have a certain mix or combination of anabolic and catabolic energy. We've got that anabolic, which is just, you know, life growth producing and is positive. And we've got the catabolic, which can be destructive, but is also necessary in times of, you know, when we have to get out of a bad situation, for example, like a bear's coming at you. Mm -hmm. You've got to have that, you know, that energy to fight and get out. But ultimately, we want to all hopefully be living in that anabolic space, you know, that you're feeling mm-hmm. good and you're, you're drawing that energy around you. So when you talk about being a magnet, and you, I, I read that chapter, I share with the listeners more about what those tips, what, what tips do you have to be a magnet? Sure, and, I, and I, one of the things that you are talking about on the show today and throughout your series is about energy and being the positive energy and controlling and managing the energy that you create um, for others and what you also generate for yourself. And so one of the tips I have is, believe it or not, lean back. I know that Cheryl, um, you know, that we had, Cheryl Sandberg had talked about um, the importance of leaning in. And I'm going to take an alternative view and say, sometimes you need to lean back. You don't always need to be ready to pounce. Sometimes we need to be the graceful presence that leans back and allows things to unfold so that you create 
a positive, safe space by what you communicate, which is your availability to listen and not necessarily that you're going to jump into action. That allows people to create or co-create a solution with you. So one tip is really just shift your stance. Sit back. You're literally opening your heart. You're demonstrating an openness. The other is to prepare conversational gifts. And I don't mean bringing a present, a tangible present, but bring people information. Make sure that the person that you are with leaves the interaction feeling smarter because of the time they spent with you. Now, information is power. We all want knowledge. And too often we think that because we know something, everyone knows it. And that's not necessarily the case. So no matter where you sit in the corporate hierarchy, there's a really good chance that you have information that would be valuable for somebody else. So that's another tip. Um, A third tip is don't own the things you do well. So too often, just because we can do it well, doesn't mean that we should do it, but we do. And that doesn't allow other people to develop or have experiences. So don't hog all the good stuff and don't always own the stuff that you can do because other people either can do it or want to learn. Um, And then I guess the other thing that I would say is to try to look for the joy and be the joy. That there's a lightness of being. Again, it goes back to that energy. It's kind of how you comport yourself. Don't come in tense and scowling, but really kind of come in with a smile and looking for something that is going right. You can always find the positive and kind of delight in that with the people around you. And the last thing that I would say, um, and I could go on and on, is Hmm. to sometimes seek out the person who looks like they're more uncomfortable. You know, there are people who are shy, but are actually really waiting to be invited into conversation. And so often people tell me that they feel lonely at work. But when somebody just approach, and they are not necessarily the people who are obviously introverts, but they could be somebody who looks like they're really comfortable, but they're not joining in because they're waiting for just the littlest invitation. So mm-hmm. I always encourage people to help magnetize a room by inviting people into the conversation. Don't assume that when somebody is quiet, it's because they have nothing to say. Mm. Be that graceful presence. I love that phrase. And all those, like you said earlier, they're all things that we can do. They're learned. They're skills. We just have to be alert and pay attention. You know, you, I, you, love the, you, I love the title to transformational energy, right? It's how you are transforming by the energy you bring into the space that you're operating in. Mm-hmm. People feel it. It changes. It changes kind of the, the molecules between people. They really do. And, and through all that, you build that loyalty and trust when you genuinely do everything that you just talked about and, uh, right, and just simply being aware. And you talk about loyalty in your book and you have a lot of insights. And, you know, I want to share with one of them you talked about, you say that leaders need to assume an abundance, not scarcity mentality. And I found this really interesting would you mind talking more about that? Well, in the book, you can look at the glass as half full or half empty. Right? Mm-hmm. And when people have an abundant mindset, they're, they're seeing what is present, not what is absent. So there are those people who are always saying, I would have, I could have, I should have, if only. Well, that's operating from the negative. And mm-hmm. the more we see about what we have, the better we feel. And the more we share, the more we find that we have. So when we talked before about being busy, everybody has time poverty, it seems. 
So when you give your time to other people, you actually experience a greatness of time. And so it's counterintuitive, but when you're giving time away, you suddenly realize, I have time to give, and it feels good. If you look around and you think, oh, there's nothing I can do for my little perch, think again. There are companies where the, they run big training programs, but there's empty seats. I'm like, well, did you ever think about inviting anybody from the neighborhood in? How about charging stations? Can you even offer somebody an outlet? That's something you can give somebody a chance to just mm-hmm. literally connect. Right? Or you have relationships. You can introduce somebody to, some, to somebody that they don't know or to an idea they don't know. I mean, there's so many ways that we can give by recognizing what we have. And it's not always about money, right? It's not always about things. Right. We can be giving and be generous with our attention, our information, our relationships, our connections. That's an awesome spree. I, I want to talk about narcissists as well. And so we're going to go to a break. And I want to talk about that as well, because it's something that we all is somewhat is the elephant in the room, right? When we talk about making these connections. So for everyone out there, come on back and we will continue this conversation about making connections. We'll see you here on the other side of the commercial break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Tune in for 5 Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on 5 Blossom Gatherings, the Four Voices Program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand. So if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you where you want to be right now? We live our lives sometimes looking at others and thinking, the grass is always greener on their side. Not realizing that we have the power within us to pursue our dreams. It begins with a head start in the right direction. And that head start is with host Carla D. Walker and from the inside out. Believe in your abilities and take action. Listen live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back, everyone, and today I'm talking with my guest, Dr. Melanie Katzman, business psychologist, advisor, consultant, and author of the recently published book called Connect First, Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning, and Joy at Work. Okay, so Melanie, before the break, we were talking about being a magnet and also having as leaders, not even leaders, but all of us, to lead or to live with an abundance, not a scarcity mentality, and you gave some great tips and ideas about what we can do to demonstrate that abundance. 
abundance. And I also teased right before the break, I wanted to talk about narcissism. And you say in your book, you got to stroke the narcissist. All egos need a little love. Tell us more about that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, oftentimes the office peacock, the person who's strutting their stuff, um, looks (laughs) like they've got it all together. Right. And we either don't want to share praise with them because it looks like they've got more than enough, um, or they're asking for it with their actions such that you're so turned off that you don't want to give it. Unfortunately, when you're in the presence of somebody who is acting in such an egotistical way, what they need is more ego strokes. Because Mm. I can tell you as a psychologist, often that's the person who's the most insecure. So it's one of those counterintuitive things, which is you see somebody who seems overly confident, but actually oftentimes they're compensating for insecurity. So give them what they crave. And that is a little, a little, little love, little ego strokes. Mm-hmm. And so what I will often tell my, my um, clients is stroke their narcissism. Right? We're all a little narcissistic and everybody wants to be praised, including your boss. Don't forget that. Even your Mm -hmm. boss needs to be praised. Um, But when you see somebody who's that hungry, rather than being repelled, have some compassion and recognize that they're telling you they're desperate to be seen and to be recognized. Mm -hmm. It works like it's a a charm. Try it. You'll see. It's a real power move. And it's true. Emotional quotient being, I like how you're saying that. Be have compassion. Have compassion. We lead from compassion that will really influence the way that we engage and interact with others. You know, and, and in your book, you've got several different sections committed to different themes. And in part six of your book, it's called Fight Fear. You offer lots mm-hmm. of tips there. And particularly, you write about inviting others in and take the first step. Why is it important for leaders to invite in their competitors? Right. Um, because you know, oftentimes... Our competitors are the people who are most knowledgeable about the very things that we're trying to analyze. And what we see certainly in the, um, in the marketplace is that many times competitors become collaborators either because they figured out that what you think you're competing about isn't exactly the same thing. So joining forces, you each can emphasize a different aspect or you ultimately end up being acquired by the same company. I mean, how many times do we see mergers where there are groups that were initially competitors and then they either become merged or become part of the same mothership? Because oftentimes what the market needs is variations or complementary activities to solve, the same, to solve a particular problem. So I encourage people to invite their competitors in. You can learn together. Oftentimes you can find things that you can help one another with and sometimes agree to have some healthy boundaries around what you're going to compete about and what you're not. So um, invite your competitor in. Do like a competitive athlete. Often the athletes will tell you that they know their competitors' moves better than they would even know their their girlfriend or boyfriend's moves because they're studying the competition. So your competitor probably knows a lot about you and sees some of your fault lines better than you do. Mm. They can even help you open your Johari window even more so, right? <laughs> so the- well said. Well said. Yes. <laughs> my, my competitor sees my blind spots even when I don't. No. Exactly. There's nothing like that outside perspective. So that's great. Keep them yeah. keep them in your your 
your group of informants. And so that's great. You know, you write about leaders needing to have a big impact. And I talk about being transformational. So let's say even having being transformational, why is it important for leaders to explore the unknown? Yeah, well, so, you know, what you don't know can hurt you, as we've been, you know, as the saying goes. And, you know, there's always going to be those things that we don't know and with the kind of speed with which the world is moving um, that we can't anticipate what's going to come, but we know that things are going to come that we don't know. So by creating forums to actually ask questions about things that we don't know or even to generate questions that we think might be coming is very important. It's also very, dare I say, energizing as well as motivating. If we go back to this idea that fear makes us close our minds and our windows and our hearts, what we want to do in the face of the unknown is adopt that open stance and say, let's think together, let's have places where people can generate questions and not be afraid of having a wrong answer because we don't even know if we have the right question. If I think mm-hmm. about being, my, my life as a researcher, and I know that you do a lot of research as well, if you don't ask the right question, you get the wrong data. So we need exactly. to work on asking good questions right? and having mm-hmm. forums where people can play with the questions. What do we think we need to know? It's critical. Right? Mm-hmm. So we don't always have to operate from a place of knowing, but we need to operate from a place of curiosity. That's the big one right there, that curiosity piece. And you're right. Some people say, well, you, you need to be skilled at solving problems. And the answer is, well, yes. But like you said, what are we asking the right question? Are we even in the right place? And then that links back to what you were talking about earlier. Have grace to, to lean back and let others feel comfortable enough that they can come forth with ideas, come forth with their questions. It's all really connected, isn't it? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, the, the reason I start the book, you know, the book is divided into the different sections as you've been referencing, and I start with you know, the basics of establishing respect, and then I move on to using your senses and developing, you know, your own magnetism and then growing loyalty and then fighting fear and ultimately making a big impact, and they're all related because if you don't establish respect, you don't establish trust. Once you establish trust, then you can start to look to the unknown and you can start to experiment and make mistakes. So all of the different chapters are interrelated and you lay the foundation with the smile at the very beginning and then you move on to the more complex, but they're all you know, part of the same picture. They all are contributing sure to creating loyal, trusting, safe environments. Mm-hmm. Makes it, it really makes a lot of sense for all of you listening. It's great. And also in every chapter, she has case studies that really highlight the, the key themes and lessons that she's pointing out in each of the books and each, each of the chapters, rather. So, you know, I have to address this because even earlier you brought up when we were talking about this younger generation just doesn't find busy as attractive as what we once thought it was. It was cool to be so busy. And this generation saying, wait a minute here, I just want to connect with you. It's, it's not cool that you're always busy. So I want to address ageism for just a moment. And you talk about it's, you know, embrace, embrace aging at work and unleashing intergenerational energy are key to making an impact and so uh, tell us more about why this is so important in making human connections so in my practice so I have the unusual situation of being a psychologist who's a clinical psychologist with a practice where people come for therapy so I've always maintained my therapy practice and then I also am a corporate consultant and one of the things that I found is that people 
on both ends of the age spectrum are telling me the same thing. So people in their 20s are coming in and they're saying, whether it's in therapy or in coaching sessions, I want to do something that's meaningful. Will my job, my career make a difference? And then when I talk to people who are in their 50s and 60s, they're saying, I don't know if I can stay at my job because I really want to make a difference. And I think, wow, why are these two ends of the spectrum speaking to each other? And oftentimes you have people who are at very senior levels of the, their organization and they're feeling burnt out, they're not interested, things feel too repetitive, and they don't realize that as the decision maker, as the influencer, they can drive change from their organizational spot. Too often I see people retiring to then do charitable efforts in the community, which is great, but sometimes you can do as much, if not more, from your position in the company by being attentive and intentional with who you choose as your vendors, how you take care of your customers, and the kinds of work environment you have for your colleagues. So I encourage people who are in the early stage of their career and people who are at the latter stage of their career to get out of your age ghetto and to actually Mm. spend some time talking to each other about this idea of what can you, from your place of work, be doing in order to make changes. And you'll have different perspectives because people are different. And also I think different age groups are looking at different information sources and responding to things in a different way. So I do really encourage that conversation and that exploration of the, you know, what if, what if we did this? Could this be made better in that way? It's energizing and exciting for people at at all points. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful litany of, of evidence that you put in the book and talking about people when they're at their age of 60 that hold on they're not on their way out the door because when you think about it they're happier they've they're they can start seeing patterns in the work that they're doing they're focused yeah. on really helping others it brings so many great things to the workforce and i'll never forget i was having a conversation with one of my mentors a couple of years ago she said you know matt it was the most interesting thing when i got near the 60 year point, all of a sudden it became not so relevant anymore. And so for those Mm -hmm. people who might be feeling relevant, yeah, what might be some tips that you can pass on to them? Well, you know, I I think that this is about mindset, right? The idea that I'm not relevant, right? Well, one of those, one aspect of that is challenging that for yourself. Because if people can think I'm not relevant because I've aged out, and people can think I'm not relevant because I'm too young. And in both instances, I would challenge that to say, we're all relevant. And it starts with you taking the actions to make yourself relevant. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the abundance mindset, somebody who's 60 has an abundant, abundant amount of expertise, knowledge, experience. So part of the way you get to know how much you know is by sharing it. So I've heard people um, who are, you know, old, Further on in their career, say, oh, I went in to talk to a business school class. They couldn't believe how much I know about journalism. It's just mm-hmm. so second nature to me. Or how much I know about banking or real estate. So one of the ways that I think we increase our relevance is by sharing information, looking for um, opportunities to bring people together. You know, somebody who's in their 60s and says, not just my door is always open, but my door is open and I'm going out and inviting people to come in. Right? Mm. And then I can ask the people who are coming in to bring people our ideas that they think we should hear. You know, one of the stories I have in the book is about the head of innovation who had run out of ideas. 
And he came into my office having a panic attack, truly. And what Mm -hmm. we decided was that he was going to invite people from the community um, to come in, startups and entrepreneurs, to pitch their ideas. Because he didn't see how significant it was for someone to come into an establishment and be honored in that way. And, of course, the people who were invited felt terrific. They started to share their ideas. That percolated ideas for him. He invited people from his staff to come in. That catalyzed more ideas. And suddenly the innovator was innovating again. He became relevant again, even more relevant than before. So uh, I would say yeah. don't stop when you think I'm irrelevant. Get yeah. relevant. <laughs> you know? It's, it's that abundance. Up. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoy that example. It's so such a good way for all of us to be thinking about when we feel like we're stuck or not relevant. Wait a minute. There's a world of knowledge out there that we're just not tapping into. And, and it applies for all ages. I love what you're saying there. Okay, so we're, we're at a break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll finish this up. And in fact, I'm going to challenge you, Melanie, to boil this down into three or four. What are some actionable steps we can take after this after this show today? So everyone, stay tuned. We'll be back here in two minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. If you are looking to deepen your understanding of karma, the law of attraction, metaphysics, mindfulness, and intuition, be sure to tune in each week for You, the Universe, the Holistic Mind with host Catherine Potter. Catherine and her insightful guests will show how everything interconnects, explaining concepts and modalities that connect the mind and body. It's a refreshing look at the universe and the laws that govern it. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. We're in the final segment of the show, and we've been talking all this past hour about the importance for connecting with each other. My guest is Dr. Melanie Katzman, and she wrote the book. It's out on on the shelves right now. You can get it. It's called Connect First, 52 Simple Ways to Ignite Success, Meaning and Joy at Work. And that that last part, joy at work. Boy, if we all had Mm -hmm. joy... What a great way to live, right, Melanie? So, well, and in fact, you know what? We purposely put that at the last um, part of the title so that you had to say joy at work. 
right? That, yeah. that was purposeful because people often think that that's, you know, a, a twosome, a pairing that doesn't come together. And of course we all want joy at work. So that's what I had to put it in the title and make sure that the book gave us lots of ways to get joy because who doesn't want to be happy and joyful, right? Right. Who, who doesn't want to be? You know, in my coaching, oftentimes when I'm working with clients, I'll ask them, so what brings you joy? And it's amazing mm-hmm. how many say, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a big question for me. Isn't that a, is that a wonderful question to ask? And I want to, you know, give you a, a hint and an answer I give for people when they say, I don't know. Like, look mm-hmm. for those micro moments. You know, we think about joy, it has to be like a, a party. It's like, no, we don't have to be having a party. It doesn't mean that we're all going out dancing with our coworkers, although that could be fun sometimes. But joy <laughs> happens in those moments when you're with people and you just stop for a second and look at what you've accomplished. I was on the radio yesterday and I was being interviewed by a doctor who was saying that so many of the people working in healthcare are unhappy and don't feel the meaning at, of their jobs. I'm like, you're saving lives and you don't have a sense of meaning. What's mm. going on? And part of that is that there isn't a pause in the day to just stop and say, what did we do today? Who did we help? What was the impact of our work? You know, all work exists for a reason. So the joy can sometimes be found in that moment where you pause and just look and say, you know what? We just planted this whole garden. We cleaned this whole street. We, we served X number of coffees. You know, we launched our new food truck, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Those moments of joy are there, and I think we just have to remember not to get scared of the concept. Just look for those little moments. Right, look for those moments. And like you said very early on in our conversation, it doesn't take that long. Every day, one to three minutes, stop and really be in that moment and think about, yeah, what, what was the impact? Okay, Melanie, we've talked about lots of different things, and for all of us – all the, everyone who's been listening to the conversation, what might be, you know, three things that we could start doing now to put things into action, to make those connections, to make the connections, and in fact, make them stronger? So, believe it or not, one thing that I would always suggest to people is two words. Got it. It's mm-hmm. a game changer. When you send a request by email or Slack or text and somebody doesn't acknowledge it, you don't know whether or not they're working on it or they've ignored you. And that is whether or not you are the person making the request at a higher level or somebody who is making that request of their boss. In both directions, people want to know that their message has been received. Sometimes you're working on it and you don't have time to actually give the answer right now, but let somebody know that there's a person on the other end of the communication. So one thing you can do immediately is say, got it. Um, The other is if you're on a conference call, make sure everybody knows who's on the call and ideally ask a question that everyone can answer very quickly at the beginning so each voice is heard. So I suggest ask everybody, what are you seeing out your window right now? Just who's on the call? What do you see out your window? That truly locates people in a place and it tells you a lot about what's happening in their environment. So... That's another one. And I guess the third, I would say, is a question I always like to ask when I'm working with a group, we're starting a project, is how can I help you shine? Mm. Because sometimes what people will tell you is so easy to deliver, but you might not have even thought about it. You know, like for me, sometimes when I'm 
working in different cultures, I'm pronouncing names incorrectly. And I'm very self-conscious about it. And I want to be respectful of getting it right because I believe names matter. And I will often say to my colleagues, just be sure I have it right. And if I have it wrong, correct me. It'll calm me down. Mm-hmm. They'll take my attention and put it where it should be rather than my fretting about pronunciation. So, you know, I think, got it? What do you see out your window and how can I make it help you shine? Are just three really quick things that one can do. They make a big difference. And of course, smile. And of course, smile and make that eye contact appropriately, right? Yes, I've got it, Melanie. This makes a ton of sense. By the way, what do you see outside your window right now? <laughs> well, right now, um, I am at the intersection. Actually, I have, a great, I, I have a great answer to that because I'm at the corner of 34th and Madison here in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. And on one side of my um, office, I'm looking at the Empire State Building. And on the other, I'm looking at the new Freedom Tower. So I often say that I work at the intersection of tradition and innovation. Beautiful. I and I have the new. Yes. What a great way to, to wrap this up. I'm personally looking out my backyard right now here in the, in the middle of America in Nebraska. So, yeah, Melanie, I... I ask you, and what do you see? <laughs> yeah, that's what I see, and it was cold outside today. I, have to, I can't thank you enough for your time today to share with us all your insights about connecting. It's so vital, just as we started the show early on, to make those human connections and to realize that we are hungry for having real connection, not just emails little blurbs, the texting and pinging and all that stuff, but to make that real human connection, it takes us oh so far, so I can't thank you enough. Now, after the show, if the audience wants to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? So, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm at Melanie Katzman, M-E-L-A-N-I-E-K-A-T-Z-M-A-N, and on Facebook, it's Melanie Katzman, Ph.D., love to hear from the audience. So send me your questions or samples of how you've been connecting. I always want to have the conversation. Oh, fantastic. Oh, and to get their book, is it on Amazon now? Book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, IndieBound. It's being distributed by all of the places that sell books. So buy it, read it, share it, um, help everybody connect. I feel that we all have a responsibility to make a difference in the work that we do. And it's a great opportunity that takes no time and will make you feel good doing it. So um, thanks for the conversation. And I'm really happy that the book is out. And thank you for reading it so carefully. Oh, you bet. And it's a good read. Everyone out there, it's a good read. Okay, so here we are. We're at the end of the show. And as always, if you have a topic that you want to be covered on the show, a guest that I should invite, let me know. You can email me at mwolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. And until next week, harness your positive energy and lead that transformation. We'll talk with you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.